Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Carrie. And I'm Joe. Please remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just retiring our mullets and talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Welcome to any new listeners and loyal listeners. We found some in Northampton, England, Brownsburg, Indiana, and Land Lakes, Florida. Love their butter. <laughs> Very interesting. All of those folks can keep up with us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S. Our Twitter is the same at HRT80S. Joe, last minute addition to the tidbits. I know. I told you I didn't have tidbits, and then I remembered one from last night. This is at the urging of producer Dave. Carrie, you know, we like to watch those videos on YouTube compiled by the user Some Random Guy. Mm-hmm. And we caught one last night that was something like 100 Greatest Synth Pop Songs of the 80s. Ooh, I'll have to check that one out. It was pretty good. We watched another one. Maybe I'll tell you about that later off the air. It was really long. Anyway, the synth pop one, there was a moment where they went right from Corey Hart sunglasses at night mm-hmm. into your rhythmics sweet dreams and me and dave looked at each other how have we not heard the similarities of those oh, two songs boy. have we talked about this no uh-uh well you don't have to make the clips dave knows exactly what to do to get it we'll <laughs> drop it here Dave was like, this is shade. He purposely put these together to point it out. And then I was like, I don't think so, honey. He does things alphabetically. That's true. That's true. What a crazy coincidence. And he lined it up just so that it sounded like the song never ended. It's crazy. Wow. Okay. Dave's going to put a clip in so we'll all hear it. And I cannot wait to hear it. And the other tidbit was there was a video called 160 Songs That Are Turning 40 in 2022. And since Carrie, Yumi, and Charlie are doing that special, Mm -hmm. the songs that turned 40 this year, we thought, well, let's watch it. I had the list pulled up, what you, the three of us had chosen. And I would tell him, yes, that's on the list. And then he had to guess who picked it, me, you, or Charlie. He only got it right, I think, one time. Oh, wow. The rest, I think it really shows. I think we all went out of our comfort zones for what to pick on this special, and I'm excited for it. Yes, that is this week when the listeners hear this, Friday, April 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern on Charlie's 80s Attic, the best songs of 1982. And Saturday and Sunday as well, replay 1 p.m. Eastern. I wanted to say about music plagiarism just very quickly, since you've brought this up. Have you heard the headlines this week about Ed Sheeran's plagiarism suit? Yeah, and I think he said something very interesting. He's like, there's a million songs and we have 12 notes, people. Like, calm down. Mm -hmm. I think he's kind of right. This suit that he just ended up and I think he won was just crazy Someone said like two words that he had used and maybe they were the same notes or something. It sounded really sketchy, but it was funny to me. He said that quote. And then he also said that now when he's writing, he like literally like films himself the entire time he's writing music so that he can go back and basically say, oh, no, this is when I had the inspiration for that. 
Which I guess doesn't refute the idea that like you can hear something and it can become a part of your subconscious and then you use it. Well, you're the lawyer. I was going to come to you for guidance. (laughs) I don't know. You know, intellectual property is very difficult. That's the area of law that we're talking about. I say good for him. I'm glad he spoke out. I'm glad he won. I would have gone to court and been like, listen, if I didn't come up with this song, then why did I have to settle with the writers of No Scrubs? Like, your beef is with this guy who claims he came up with it, right? Yeah, it's tough. I'm glad I'm not a songwriter because I can understand how it would be so difficult to deal with this type of things. Right. I'm not like a huge fan of Ed Sheeran, but I also I have respect for him. Like the way he conducts himself, I think is appropriate. That's news to me. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> well, Joe, we got to get into our main topic. It's a big one. And we teased it last week. We're talking about Hit Me Baby One More Time. No, not the Britney Spears song, but the British TV show. We discovered this in a recent episode when discussing Shaken Stevens. It was a program that aired in the UK in April and May of 2005. The premise is that five acts compete each week. They are acts that were popular once upon a time, basically anywhere from the 70s to the 90s. And they sing one of their songs and then cover a contemporary song. Then people call in to vote for their favorite, and a winner is declared each week. There were seven weeks total, and all of those seven winners then competed in a grand finale. The winner's prize was to release a double A-side of their original hit and their cover song, which I was like, why wouldn't they just do that anyway? <laughs> I don't know, maybe they, maybe the TV company paid for them to do it. I'm sure, yeah, that's what it was. Um, So the entire first episode of the UK version is available on YouTube, and then there's clips of most of the other performances from other episodes. Those are online as well. For each artist, there's like a little intro package, and then the artist comes out and sings their own hit. They rise up on this platform from below the stage. It seems unnecessary to me. Mm -hmm. But they're really singing live is the good thing. I mean, for better or worse, yeah. (laughs) depending on the performer. And then the crazy hyper presenter will come over, and then they talk about that song. Then after they have all sung their hits, there's another little intro package for each artist that talks about what they've been up to since they became famous and faded away. And there's little pop-up facts, which were cute. I learned a lot from those. I know. I actually did, too. I liked those. And then the artist comes out again, and they sing their contemporary cover song. So from the first episode, we're not going to cover Gloria Gaynor or Honeys, a 90s UK R&B group. Those two also appeared in this episode, but we are going to start with Howard Jones. We've talked about him a bunch on the podcast over the years, so we're not going to get too in-depth, but I will say that I was shocked when he appeared out of the stage because he didn't have much hair. And then I started to think, Joe, when we were in Mexico and we saw him, he had big hair, right? I don't think so. No, I, I was trying to, to remember if I um, had a false memory of what his hair looked like. Because I swear I thought he had his big flowing blonde mane from back in the 80s. What night was he there? What was I wearing? It was the first night, wasn't it? He <laughs> opened for... <laughs> I don't know. What was I wearing? I don't know. You think it was the night of Little River Band? The second night, I guess. He played right before Billy Idol. Billy Idol, yeah. 
Okay, hang on. Technicolor suit. <laughs> I could have done this. I totally forgot. Oh, he did. He had crazy big hair. Okay. The problem is it's the same color as his head, and that's what was happening on the show yes, too, right? Yeah, yeah. So in 2005, he did not have much hair. So I don't know if he, um, no Tino shade to Howard Jones. I don't know if he was wearing a wig this past year when we saw him or if he just had chosen to shave his head in 2005. Whatever the case, he sounded good when we saw him live, wasn't that? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. So the original hit that he sang on Hit Me Baby One More Time was What Is Love? That was his biggest charter in the UK. It reached number two in 1983. And here's a clip of that performance. Howard Jones. I really liked the performance of What is Love. I thought he Mm -hmm. sounded good. I thought he had great energy. His clips package, too, made me realize that I don't think I've seen a lot of his videos. Oh, I guess I don't think I have either. He wasn't like, yeah, I don't think he was super big on MTV. But they showed videos, you know, on the clips. I'm like, never seen that, never seen that. Why weren't they showing all these? You know, the only video I remember, and I don't even remember what song it was for, but it's the one where he has the mime, his mime guy in it. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now we're going back to how we don't remember the names of any of the songs. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I liked him, too. I thought he sounded really good. This performance of What is Love really made me think that I really liked the song a lot more than I've ever thought before. Mm -hmm. And he's like rocking this keytar. But the other thing that was weird, and he did this at his show when we saw him too, is that I get that he has programmed music that backs him up. Lots of performers do. But he made a production of like he had keyboards set up on the stage behind him. But all he did at the very beginning of the song was hit a button and then the programmed music started. And I was just like, why is that necessary? (laughs) Like, Don't do that part. Like, We get it. Your new boo, Ed Sheeran, does that with his music, <laughs> with the loops. I'm sure he does. So it's good enough I'm for him? I'm just saying. It's just silly. I think it's a silly part of the performance to make a big production out of the fact that he's doing that. But yeah, I thought he sounded great. I was shocked when the presenter walked up to him after he was done with his song because the guy like towered over Howard Jones. That guy is such a big doofus. I know. <laughs> So anyways, for Howard's What Has He Been Up To segment, he talks about how he used to get chased around in 1984, but now he says he gets recognized, but no one chases him. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. And for his contemporary hit, he sang White Flag by Dido. Um, I don't know about this song for him. I didn't think it was a great choice. I guess maybe I'm a little biased because this is one of my favorite songs, I think, of all time. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, I really love White Flag by Dido. 
So maybe I just thought he couldn't compare to the original, but I didn't think it fit his voice very well. He did do the right thing for this performance in terms of it's just him sitting at the grand piano, and then he's got one guy on stage with him playing an acoustic guitar. It took me, I would say, a good 45 seconds to recognize this was White Flag. I mean, I know they introduced it, but I'm like, I kind of know that song, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, this does not sound familiar at all, but it's just what he did to it, I think. Yeah, he flattened it out. I think there's some different sounds in the original song that he just couldn't do in the acoustic version, but then it just makes me want to listen to White Flag by Tito. Was David Boreanaz in that video? Yes, yes. Oh my god. I'm watching an angel season of Buffy right now. Oh, God. Here's why I would vote for Howard Jones if this was the year 2005 and I lived in the UK. Yeah. I loved What is Love. I thought it was great. I thought he took a chance on the cover. It didn't Mm -hmm. work that well, but he was just so endearing in the clips. And he seems to have a really good, you know, home life and work life, too, still. Mm -hmm. Maybe I wouldn't vote for him. I'd be like, don't rock that boat. You're doing just fine (laughs) what you're doing. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. He came across really well in his appearance. A little bit better than our next artist (laughs) to perform on Hit Me Baby one more time, and that's Lamal. And you surely know the name Lamal, but do you know his backstory? He was born Christopher Hamill in Lancashire, England. He started as an actor and was an extra in the video for Adam Ant's Stand and Deliver. He released a couple of solo singles as Chris Hamill in 1980. In 1981, the band Art Nouveau advertised for a new singer, and Christopher auditioned and got the gig. The band then changed its name to Kajagugu, and Christopher took on the stage name Lamal, an anagram of his last name. Lamal was responsible for the group getting a record deal. He met Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran while waiting tables in London, and Rhodes co-produced the group's debut single, Too Shy, which was a huge success. It topped the chart in the UK before Duran Duran ever did and went to number five in the US. After only one album together, the tensions in the band became too much and Lamal was fired. Now he says it was because they were jealous of the intention he was getting. The rest of the band says they wanted to go in a different direction and Lamal was the one with the big ego. Lamal had a couple of minor hits as a solo act, but of course, His biggest hit was the title track to the soundtrack to The NeverEnding Story. In 1984, it went to number four in the UK and 17 in the US. And after that, he pretty much disappeared until the 2000s when he appeared on a series of reality shows, including Hit Me Baby One More Time. So his performances, Carrie, I know you're waiting for this. His retro song was Too Shy. Hey girl, move a little closer. I didn't understand why he didn't do one of his solo hits. Well, he would have needed a woman to do the never-ending story with. And then what other solo hit is there? Well, he had a couple hits, like, in the UK. I just thought it was kind of strange how Kajagugu, the whole thing, their breakup was so acrimonious. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, well, why didn't he want to embrace, like, his solo work then? I wonder if they were pissed. Well, Joe, here's something you may not have known. Nick Beggs of Kajagugu was actually performing with Howard Jones 
Oh, God. In the first thing, because Nick Beggs of Kajagugu, after, you know, Kajagugu disbanded in the late 80s, I think, became a part of Howard Jones's touring band. He absorbed Has them. worked with him, yeah, ever since. Oh, what was that green room like? I know, exactly. <laughs> but back to Lamal, here's my big question. <laughs> Why mm-hmm. is he still doing his hair? He's not doing it in the weird kind of like mullet anymore, although it's kind of like a semi mullet. But anyways, why is he doing it in that weird two tone where he's got like bleached blonde over dark brown? That's a signature. It's awful. It's awful. It's not good, right? Yeah, I felt bad for him. He looked like that guy I would see at the gay bars who was like 55 mm-hmm. and wearing like abercrombie and like two-toned motorcycle jackets and i'm like oh sis come on yeah he didn't sound great either i don't know i just yeah i was disappointed i don't want to rag on him too much i don't think he had a great voice even in his heyday i will put that out there you're probably right he was probably way overproduced as a singer and i want to know what music video director he banged in the (laughs) 80s did we ever solve that mystery? I think we had some ideas. There was an anecdote in the um, I, Want I Want My, my MTV, MTV oral history book about Lamal banging one of his video directors. But he said he's like, oh, but he's a big time movie director now. Yeah. And he was like, I'll never tell. <laughs> well, re his hair, Carrie, Lamal says in the next package clips that he ditched his mullet in 88. He said, the mullet was an 80s thing and it's back again. It looks great on young people, but on me, it looks like I'm stuck in the 80s. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I found ironic. He was like saying that he had moved on, but he literally did look like he was straight out of the 80s. Yeah. So he said he wants to be Chris at home, but when he has to be Lamal, he makes sure everything is right. And then his modern hit was This Love by Maroon 5. Yeah, that was really boring. Mm-mm-mm. I didn't care for it one bit. <laughs> I think we've talked before on this podcast and I don't enjoy Maroon 5 in general, but that first album by Maroon 5 was pretty good that this love was from. And why is he singing it like this? It's not forceful enough for the song and it's just boring. Well, you didn't want to talk about it, but I did watch the Honey's performance and they did oh. a Nickelback song. Oh, God. <laughs> they did How You Remind Me. Was it good? Carrie. I don't know. Come I know. Maybe they put Grow a up. good spin on it. <laughs> no. That's wild. I wonder if they only had like a limited selection of songs that could get cleared or something. I mean, yeah. Why else would they pick that? Yeah. Wild. All right. Last act we're going to cover for the first episode here of Hit Me Baby One More Time is Tiffany. If you want to hear all about Tiffany, then go back to episode seven. She was one of the first artists we went in depth on. She was pretty much as big in the UK as she was in the States. I think We're Alone Now also topped the UK chart, and she had three more top 40 hits there as well. At the top of the show, the presenter actually introduces her as the Britney of her day. I don't know about that. Of course, she sings I Think We're Alone Now. They don't understand, and so they find just as fast as they can. Pulling out to one another, saying, 
she sounded really good and she looked great. I was actually surprised mm-hmm. by her. But then I had to remind myself, well, this is 2005. There's right. been a lot of stuff that's happened with Tiffany mm-hmm. since. But I think back at this time, her voice sounded amazing. I thought she sounded great. Yeah, and she looked really good. She reminded me of the teacher from Abbott Elementary. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Shemental or whatever You're her name right. is. <laughs> That's a good comparison. I will say that I didn't care for her outfit, but it was peak 2005. Yeah, you know, she looked like she was going to the mall. Exactly. Maybe that was a callback. <laughs> You're right. I didn't understand in her clips package how they gave her credit for discovering new kids on the block. I think that was a story that was made up at the time. Just because they opened for her? Okay. There was a lot of things in these clip packages where I was kind of like, I don't think so, honey. (laughs) But but the presenter, I don't even remember this guy's name, which is funny. We watched a whole, you know, episode of this, and I just couldn't tell you his name if you put a gun to my head. But he was obsessed with her. Like, he kept making comments about how he had a crush on her and stuff, and I didn't like it. And then also, she didn't do her signature move, doing the hands, like, under her face and then at the side of her face. Like, she didn't do that during Framing the performance. Her face. Yeah. But he made her do it afterwards, which I thought was rude. It's like, well, she obviously made rude. a choice not to do that. And I didn't even know that was her signature. I was like, why is he doing this? I don't remember her ever doing it. Well, when I saw him do it, I was like, oh, yeah, she used to do that. But I wouldn't call it her signature move or anything like that. Uh, He was just super cringe all the way around. too much. So in her next package, she actually talks about how she has a British husband and how she never stops working. Her cover is Love Machine by Girls Aloud. Were you ever a fan of Girls Aloud? No, I'm just familiar with their name and yeah, that's about it. me too. They were a girl group, I think, that was formed via a reality show in the UK. But anyways, I've never heard the song before. I hate it. I hate the song. It's horrible. It's so clangy. Like, I don't understand Oil, that love machine. I couldn't understand a single word she was saying. The song, it was a horrible choice because it's really fast and she was not enunciating the words and I don't even blame her. It was a very difficult song to sing. When she got to the chorus, which was much more simple and straightforward, I thought she sounded good, but the rest of it was a mess. Mm -hmm. And then the backup dancers, there was like a set of male backup dancers, a set of female backup dancers. There was too much. It was distracting. I was happy to have something else to pay attention to. (laughs) All right, so at the end of the show, the studio audience, who seem like they have been fed uppers, you know, (laughs) like they're on an Adderall high or something, because they are going nuts for these people. They apparently vote for their favorite, which they announce right at the end of the show, and the studio audience picked Tiffany. I guess this all happened in one night. They, like, go away. The presenter is like, okay, and we'll be back at 8.55 for the results show. I was like, oh, okay. There must have been only like an hour of public voting. Then they come back and there's lame backstage footage. And the presenter said some more things about having a crush on Tiffany that made me mad. 
But then the winner from, you know, public voting is announced and it was Tiffany. And she rose out of the stage again, which was lame. And then she sang Love Machine again. If you've been watching this, this is the second time you've seen this within an hour. I was like, no, thank you. Oh, God. Uh, So that was Hit Me Baby One More Time. Episode one. I liked Tiffany. I don't mind that she won, but I think I'm with you where I would have thrown my vote to Howard Jones. Mm, For that episode, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, I would have. Yeah. Well, episode two was a little harder to watch. You have to go and find all the different clips. We need to get this on DVD. (laughs) I wonder if there was. Mm -hmm. So we talked about Shaken Stevens a bunch, and you can go back to episodes 82 and 144 for more information. But in a nutshell, he was the biggest selling singles artist in the UK in the 80s. But his music was really like throwbacks to 50s and 60s music. And in his intro package, they say he spent 435 weeks in the chart. And then there was some really weird clip they showed with no context where he jokingly attacked a presenter on some type of morning show, maybe. Like, literally jumped on him and clobbered him (laughs) and was, like, laying on him. I mean, I guess everyone knew it was a joke, but I didn't. I was like, what's happening? I would be terrified, (laughs) right? So first up, he sings his hit, This Old House, his first number one hit from 1981. Carrie, mm-hmm. why did he look like Will Ferrell uh, imitating <laughs> Robert Goulet? Oh my God. So perfect. You are so right. I mean, you have to understand about Shaken Stevens, when he was an icon in the 80s, he was already in his mid to late 30s. 40s? 30s? 40s? Yeah. So add on, you know, 30 years to that, and it's like, okay, this is an individual who is in his elder years, (laughs) and his hair is so badly dyed. It's like jet black. It's like, okay, come on, you know? Yeah. He didn't sound that great either. I know. It was actually really not good at all. Kind of bad. My husband was like, isn't this the singer that you and Carrie talk about liking some of the songs? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can just tell that his voice is just worn out. What else can you say? No shade to him because he is an older person. Like, you know, I'm sure it's hard to keep your voice up for 30 years and he just hasn't. But the creepiest thing was at the very end when the presenter (laughs) comes over. And I don't know if this actually happened or if it was all a joke or either way, it was not okay. They fake someone through a pair of underwear on the stage to the extent where like he tries to hand it to Shaken Stevens and Shaken Stevens was like, no, thanks, sir. And then says, that's Tom Jones, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, this is not okay. Why are they doing this? You thought it was fake? I didn't know. Carrie, I can't be held responsible for my (laughs) actions when I'm in a crowd and I'm really excited. Oh, boy. All right. They also referenced something called Shaky Mania, which I thought I had, but I think now (laughs) I think it's subsided after watching this. In his Where Are They Now package, he talks about how he was rushing everywhere and time has flown but he still tours and performs concerts. He chose his contemporary track because it's not what people would expect of him, and it is Trouble by Pink. The diamonds will go, well, then they only 
Yeah, that ain't it, sis. <laughs> he should not have chosen that. And I love this song. Yeah. I feel this song is underrated. I liked that album. I wonder, was Trouble a big hit in the UK? Because I don't think it was a hit here. Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. He gets a bit better by the end, but this is so bad. This is where I thought to myself, okay, his voice really is gone because he could have chosen any song. And so if he just needed to choose a song that where he could just sing straight down the middle and didn't have to hit any high notes or do anything, he should have done that. Mm-hmm. Carrie Trouble by Pink peaked in the U.S. at number 68. Oh, wow. And in the U.K., it went to number seven. My goodness. Makes a little more sense why he picked it then. Yeah. So, yeah, I was not super impressed with Shaken Stevens. Would not vote for him. Nope. Up next, it's Jackie Graham. She was a British singer born in Birmingham to Jamaican immigrant parents. And she was discovered as a session singer and then signed a solo deal and released her first album in 1985. Two singles from that album that hit the top 10 in the UK, including a cover of the soul classic, Could It Be I'm Falling in Love, that she recorded as a duet with David Grant, another session singer turned solo artist. Here's a clip of that single. It reached number five in the UK and went to number 60 on the R&B chart here in the States. It became the first of six consecutive singles to reach the top 20 in the UK for Jackie. In 1987, Michael McDonald chose her to accompany him on his UK tour and sing Patti LaBelle's part in the song On My Own. He later called her one of the best singers Britain has ever produced. Jackie has continued to release albums over the years, but hit the charts for the last time in 1995. Her biggest hit in the U.S. was a cover of Ain't Nobody, which topped the dance chart in 1994. We listened to these original songs by Jackie Graham. Could it be I'm Falling in Love and Ain't Nobody? What did you think of her? Oh, I think she's great. Phenomenal voice. I liked these. Yeah, I was excited to learn about her. I was excited to listen to Ain't Nobody. I thought to myself, well, she can't top Shaka. And she can't. But this is a good. It's still good. Yeah. Yeah. She's got the perfect voice for Mm -hmm. that song. Her intro package on the show says that she got her start singing with UB40, which I did not learn in my research Mm -hmm. about her. She sings her 1986 hit Set Me Free, which peaked at number seven in the UK. This was amazing. She put on the best performance, I think, of anyone that we saw across these two episodes. 
I think she really gave it her all. And I appreciated it. She was obviously super happy to be there, super happy to perform. She was so enthusiastic. Her voice was huge. I mean, you know, when people sing live, sometimes their voices get lost in like the musical accompaniment and everything like that, or the backing singers. She was everything. And she even thanked the audience and credited them. She's like, thank you. This is because I was really picking up your vibe. And I was like, okay, trendsetter. No one really said vibe like that back back then. Amazing. Just amazing. This made me want to um, listen to Set Me Free, the original version, and put it on a playlist. And I'm so excited to hear more from her. So her second package talks about how she was apparently huge in Asia in the 80s. She even outsold Whitney Houston. And her daughter is now her manager, which I love. For her modern hit, she sings some song called Your Game by Will Young. What did you think of this song? I don't know. I mean, I think she sounded good, but I just don't like this song. All right, that's valid. I did think she sounded great. Again, she had a choir backing her this time. Like, this was a good choice, at least in terms of the right vibe of the song. It was a big, bombastic torch song that she could sell. So she'd made the right choice there. She was great. You know, spoiler alert, she doesn't win, and I'm pissed about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so far, she would have my vote. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Even though she was up against someone that you and I both love a lot, a lot, Mm -hmm. Belinda Carlisle. That's how the presenter kept saying it. (laughs) Belinda Carlisle. Did that not drive you nuts? I guess I didn't notice. I tried not to listen too much to anything he was saying. I guess I should have too. I don't know what to say about Belinda. You all know her. But she actually had a bigger career in the UK in the 90s. After she stopped charting in the top 40 here in the U.S., she still had 16 top 40 singles from 1989 to 1997 across the pond, including three top 10 hits. She sings Heaven is a Place on Earth, which topped the chart in the U.S. and the U.K. in 1987. I was really nervous for this performance. I know. It was the first song that we've talked about or that we watched, if you watched these in order. It's the first song I really, really loved then and now, you know? Mm -hmm. I was really into it. And then the second verse, I felt like got a little shaky. Yeah. And then I was like, everyone else got to skip the second verse and go right to the bridge. They set her (laughs) up. I don't know. Yeah, she struggled. She struggled with this one and the high parts a little bit. It was fine. Fine. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. At the end, Carrie, that key change, that epic key change, I felt like it took three full seconds to complete. It did. And it she didn't make it there, really. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to love it. I really did. And I would never say anything bad about her. But this performance wasn't going to get her into the winner's circle. Yeah, no. 
I thought the funniest thing about the whole performance was they cut to the audience at one point and there was this tween that was clapping like a robot like she couldn't have cared less about this but she also was looking at the older woman next to her who was really into it like she was insane. <laughs> I was just like, it was just like this total generation gap just in like captured in one second. I know which one I would have been. <laughs> Hey, shout out to Tony Hitman Taylor for encoding all of these (laughs) clips and putting them on YouTube. He's real proud of his work. Did you catch that? Yes, that was weird. In her Where Are They Now package, she says she's worked really hard and can now sit back and enjoy the benefits. She doesn't miss all that pressure. Her modern hit is The Scientist by Coldplay, which I was like, oh, that's a good song. Yeah, it was a good choice for her voice, but there was something weird about this one, too. Like, the timing was off. Nobody said it was easy. (laughs) Yeah, she didn't shine like she could. She came across really well, like she was endearing. What did she say to him? He asked her some question, and she was not having it. Well, he was like, what did it feel like when your song went to number one? And she's like, it felt great. Like, what else (laughs) am I going to (laughs) say? Oh, but he did say another fact check. He was like, her first solo hit went to number one in the US and the UK. Oh, what about Mad About You? Well, I think the thing was that none of those earlier singles hit in the UK. So that was her first single in in the UK. Oh, Mad About You didn't hit in the UK. I feel so bad for them. Exactly. They were idiots. But anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I love Belinda, of course, but this was not it for her. We have one last act to cover from this second episode of Hit Me Baby One More Time. It's Doctor and the Medics. They formed in 1981. Doctor was Clive Jackson, a London DJ who sang lead and recruited the other members, including a pair of backup singers and dancers named Wendy West and Colette Appleby. But they went by the moniker the Adenin Brothers. I like that. We appreciate gender bending here on HRT 80s. But the group took their style from 60s psychedelia and basically dressed like hippies. They released some singles and one live EP in the early part of the decade, but finally got a break in 1985 when they signed with IRS Records. Their first proper album, Laughing at the Pieces, was released in 1986, and the first single was a smash a cover of Norman Greenbaum's 1970 hit Spirit in the Sky. Doctor and the Medics version went all the way to number one in the UK. In the US, it topped out at number 69. Nice. (laughs) The band's next two singles reached number 29 and 45 in the UK. But after that, they never charted again. They released one more album on IRS before being dropped. I mean, we play um, Spirit in the Sky on Charlie's. This version? Yes, the Doctor and the Medics version. I've never heard it. Oh, really? I've never heard it, no. Mm. 
I don't like it. Yeah, it's horrible. What? You hate it too? I think why mess with the original is a perfect song. Yeah. Well, these folks are, they've got some issues. (laughs) They're kooks. Yeah. So the intro package says that none of them have any medical training. And I was like, oh, you don't say. Well, they probably had to say it for legal reasons. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, you really have to see these people dressed up. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows that we embrace strangeness and weirdness, but there's no rhyme or reason to this. There's no aesthetic to it. It looks like their whole idea of being weird was to go into, you know, a thrift store and just pull five random things off the shelf and then throw them on. They dress like clowns, Carrie. You're being too nice. <laughs> That's right. They dress like clowns. You're right. So, of course, they perform Spirit in the Sky. Joe, I wanted to know, did you notice? I had it written down on my notes. I'll have to prove it to you. For any fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, in the latest season, there's a contestant named Bosco who draws these eyebrows on that are this very specific and distinct shape. And this gentleman, doctor, has these Bosco eyebrows. It made me laugh. It's the first thing I noticed. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so this performance, like, I hated it. He sounded fine, I guess. I hate the song, so he was never going to get there with me. But everything else that's happening on stage is so contrived and silly. Like, there's a man, thought he was the Grim Reaper at first. Then he puts away the scythe at one point, And then by the end of the performance, he's taken his hood off. And it's like, what's the point? Who cares? Like, he's just dancing around. He's not doing anything. They knew they didn't have what it took. Just to sing and win. So they're like, we got to get some more clowns out here. (laughs) I guess so. How many of you can fit in the car? (laughs) We'll never know. The presenter kept saying in these packages, talking about life after top pop. I was like, all right. (laughs) So life after top pop for Doctor and the Medics. He talked about how the circus keeps rolling on. He used those words. I just remembered that. (laughs) He says they do 90 shows in a year. I'm like, sure. All the other original members have fallen off because according to the doctor, you have to act like this 24 hours a day, which I don't think so, honey. Mm -mm. So for their second song, they perform Let Me Entertain You by Robbie Williams, which the doctor says is the only song big enough for them. I don't know. There's nothing to say about this either. Mm-mm. And I love Robbie Williams. And I like this song. But you know already how I feel about Doctor and the Medics. We're done with them. We're over it. Mm, yeah. In my notes, I'm like, I am exhausted. I've been watching this show for two hours. <laughs> and now the last people I have to watch is this clown show. I'm actively angry at Doctor <laughs> and the Medics. I can't imagine that anyone was excited to see them again. I mean, they nobody wanted to see them after their first song anyways. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. The last act in this episode that we're not going to cover was Hadaway of What is Love fame. 
Shaken Stevens won the episode, and we talked about this before when we first discovered this. He won the whole series, which I think just goes to show that people Nostalgia. were, yeah, just voting on like popularity and not how these people actually performed on the show. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I would say he was in the bottom three. Oh, yeah, he was not great. Did you watch after episode one? It was like a sneak peek on who's performing yes, next week. Yes. And it was just a close up of their lips, right? Mm hmm. And the hints were basically their names. Like, <laughs> Hadaway goes, you could say I had a way with love. <laughs> and Belinda's is like, well, I could be Linda. Or I was like, the third one should have just been like, I'm shaken, Stevens. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It's so stupid. It kind of reminded me, though, of like... um The Masked Singer. Yes. I've never watched... I, well, I have. Obviously, I have watched it like once or twice and seen these packages, but it reminded me of the packages on The Masked Singer when they try to make these yeah. clues that are so obvious to anybody who's like not brain damaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no shade to anyone that doesn't know the people on The Masked Singer. I think the clues on The Masked Singer are hard. Maybe they've gotten harder, I swear. You know, I watched it once or twice in the first season, I think, and they were so easy back then. It's harder now. Okay. I promise you. Okay, good. Well, we have one more segment, Joe. It's Top Pop. (laughs) Top of the Pop. We are going to stick around in jolly old England and see what was topping the UK chart this week back in 1988. It was the song Heart by the Pet Shop Boys. The fourth and final single from their second studio album, Heart was actually written during sessions for their first album. The duo first thought it wasn't the right fit for them and planned to offer it to high-energy singer Hazel Dean, or maybe Madonna, but eventually they decided to keep it for themselves. It was then planned to be included in the 1987 movie Inner Space, but the dance sequence it was needed for was the wrong tempo, so then the lads just included it on their next album. Like a chain reaction Between you and me My heart starts missing a beat My heart starts missing a beat Every time The song was remixed for the single version, adding a wah-wah guitar sound. It spent three weeks at the top of the UK chart, but in the US, it did not chart at all. The video is a take on the movie Nosferatu and stars Ian McKellen as the vampire. Oh. I know. Um, This song is strange. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, I guess I liked it, but it's just sort of weird to think about all of the great Pet Shop Boys songs. And this is one that topped the UK charts. I was like, okay. Maybe they bought the single out of loyalty and that's why it didn't chart in the US. I don't know. It was just kind of ultimately forgettable for me. I mean, in comparison to all the other great songs that they have. What would you say is your favorite Pet Shop Boys song? Definitely, It's a Sin. I was going to say that, too. Yeah. But they even said on Wikipedia, it was talking about how they don't really care for this song very much and haven't performed it much over the years. Well, they put it on their greatest hits. Oh, I guess they had to. Yeah. It was number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's interesting. We should see if there's some kind of list of songs that went to number one in the UK and did not chart at all in the US. This is one of them. You know what else I bet is? 
save your love, save your love for me. I don't know how it goes. Renee and Renato or whatever. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> yes. it, what is it? It's not save your love. What was it? I can't remember now. It has to be. Anyways. And that Nicole, A Little Piece, I bet that's one of them. Joe, there are tons of songs that <sighs> went to number one in the UK that did not chart in the US. I guess you're right. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Um, Next week, we don't know for sure yet, but it'll be something awesome. Isn't it always? Yeah. You love it. That's all we got. Anything else before we need to wrap this up, Joe? No, I think I took us out last week, right? Mm, Maybe you did. I'll do it. Everyone, please be kind to others, to the Mm -hmm. world, to animals, to plants. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, be kind to yourself. And also, please stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Say the net along to sing you the red